you have tuned into Surviving Fundamentalism, a podcast with Richie X, where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, you most likely mm, probably will have a problem with this shit here. But it's okay. It's okay. Grab you a little wine for the stomach's sake. Tap in. Tune in. Let's have a good time. When you question a belief, you don't believe it. That's why in religion, you may not question the priest or the abbot or the imams. Not allowed to do that because we understand when you question a belief, you begin to doubt it. That's why people who are deeply religious never question it. I know God exists. How do you know? I just know. But when you question a belief, like when you see your children, my little girl saying, Mommy, but how does Father Christmas get down there? How does the reindeer get down the chimney? They're that big and the chimney's that big. And how can you get all around the world in one night? and know they're beginning to doubt, which is a great thing. So if you question a belief, you introduce doubt. Hello, hello, hello. This is yours truly, the Right Reverend Richie X. And you are listening to Surviving Fundamentalism, the podcast where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, then you most likely, no, you probably, no, you will have a problem with this shit. And so I'm back. It's been a few weeks. Um, Whoo, child, there's so much going on and I know y'all don't really care to hear about it, but I did just recently have a birthday which I am, I don't know, (laughs) I am cool with, you know, I am now 35, Uh, as of August 29th, I share a birthday with the late great Michael Jackson and Mario Winans, (laughs) um, And I, you know, I don't know how I feel. (laughs) And I've tried to think about it. And I guess this just isn't one of those birthdays that feel different. Every birthday uh, has not always felt like something. I think I felt something at 22, 25, 27 and maybe 30 30 I was in love so maybe maybe 30 uh but I I I really generally don't always feel something so I don't feel anything this year um but here I am we're glad to be in the land of the living on today Uh, and so I believe it's going to be a great episode uh I try not to be before you long. Uh, last time we were together a few weeks ago, uh, we, the topic that we discussed was holiness is horizontal um, and not vertical, which is something that uh, I just I wanted to talk about, but I just needed... Um, I needed a little oomph, you know, I needed a push. You know, I think I've talked about that consistently throughout uh, this this deconstruction journey. 
because one of the things that I came uh, in in touch, what I got in touch with, is that if I were going to properly exit the institution, then I was going to need to do so in a spirit of love and um, self-awareness and consciousness that uh, I have not always had. You know, as I mentioned in my story earlier on in this podcast, I have tried to, you know, walk away from the church several different times before, um, even in leaving the cult that I was a part of, I, I, you know, I tried to leave and I would always end up going back. And uh, part of that reason is very complex. And so, um, you know, it is everything that is designed to keep you in the cult, right? And to, uh, you know, keep you in alignment with everything that's going on there the indoctrination and in, in all of those things. And then there is also the fact that I, so much of my autistic masking had been done with, within the institution of the black church. And they were so intertwined and letting go of that part of my identity, which I had used to not only hide my neurodivergence behind, but also to hide my um, sexuality behind. And so this had been an entire experience and, and, and the church saved me, if you will. The church gave me a sort of function, a sort of... Uh, way of being um, and, and, it, and it aided me in essentially masking uh, my autism you know and the the stricter the church the the better it was for me I think you know having uh, autism level one formerly known as Asperger's syndrome is is something uh, you know you it's right or wrong it's uh, thin or fat. There's no in between. You know, it's like, this is what it is. This is what it's going to be. And that's often, you know, how my brain thinks. And so finding a church that kind of doesn't, you know, that, that has that line upon line kind of concept is, 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 is essentially very important. Uh, because again, I'm going to find not only a doctrine that fits more into what my personal belief system is uh, because of my um, disability, but also I'm going to find like-minded people um, who think the same way, very black and white. Um, and so it, it was interesting, but the thing that I've you know come to and I struggle with this, you know, but I think, you know, the concept that, you know, holiness itself is uh, horizontal. It's, it's about the way you engage one another. It's about the ways in which we uh, interact with other people in, 
you know, love in action, right? Because Bell Hooks talks about that in All About Love. She talks about how love is an action word. It's a verb, right? And so choosing to be in love, in the spirit of love with those around you, and if God is love, then this is, you know, action toward one another. And that itself is the presentation of love. Right. And so one of the things that's so funny, I, I've been trying to come, I guess, to grips with some of the other people that I've met um, and have had the opportunity to interact with. Uh, one of them is a guy named Christian, um, who is the host of the Holy Smokes Cigars and Spirituality, I think the name of it, podcast, um, which I've started listening to, which is amazing. Um, and I joined their Facebook group. Uh, and it's funny because we're seeing... I've been at this a very long time. My construction journey uh, has, you know, it started in 2010 and kind of has gone, you know back and forth and up and down for a while as I've tried to figure out what things mean to me and the importance of redefining uh, things if I were going to exist with any level of religion or spirituality as it pertains to the black church institution. Um, and so what I'm seeing is that, you know, I searched and went to all the edgy churches and went to the churches where the pastor's like, we're so different. We're so cool, you know? And the thing is with a lot of those cool hip churches that they have not deconstructed at all, they're only using the guise of having deconstructed even partially as some sort of, tool to draw people they're using a false form of uh you know cool deconstructed um ideas culture teaching just enough to pull people in before they begin to start the process of uh what we call in holiness uh skinning and deboning the fish <laughs> Cause you got to clean it before you, uh, you got to uh, clean it before you cook it, amen. And so that's what the the these people are doing essentially, um, is using these sort of uh, diet Christian churches that have done no work, don't intend to do any work on deconstruction, and they are essentially using that. And I talked about that a couple of weeks ago that the evangelical church is rebranding. And one of the things you're going to see is more and more of these indie hip churches popping up, right? And so I think it, it it's always wise to watch as well as pray, come on somebody. And so I think it's important to to watch those things because they're in us, right? And the, the journey toward for deconstruction is 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 probably going to be as long as your journey um of brainwashing right how long were you indoctrinated for how long did you endure the brainwashing of the church 
You know, and it's probably going to take you just as long to undo that stuff. There's going to be things that pop up in, in every aspect of your life. Same thing when you are undoing um, the work of the patriarchy, right? And, and internalized misogyny and misogynoir and internalized homophobia. That's a great work. And there's a lot of things that are tied to that within our uh, white male capitalist uh, supremacist society, right? And so there's so much that is tied to that that you probably haven't even thought about yet. So you might be like, I don't got no problem with gay people. <laughs> I don't believe it's a sin to be gay no more. But then you might have so many other attributes to which you are attached to, right? Because you don't understand it. So you're, you might have gay friends and might genuinely feel like there's no problem with being gay, but when your child is gay, how do you respond? What does that mean for you? Does your world crumble now that, that someone close to you is gay? You know, so, so, so the part of like deconstructing uh, negative and toxic parts of our lives is a journey that lasts forever and it's continuous and it's a work that if possible, you can you you should do it together, right? I think in an iron sharpens iron kind of way, right? I have been on this journey a long time and I've been on it alone. And one of the things, and that means, uh, and even still, even though there are the Christians and um. Donnells and all the other people that are doing this work, some of whose voices you hear on this show, um, you know, great work, but their intersections are not mine. So I not only had to undo, you know, patriarchy and misogyny, but they, my internalized misogyny. You know, the, the, the way that I have turned the hatred of that which is feminine onto myself. I had to undo my own intersections as it pertains to, you know, these things as it pertains to my own intersections, right? Which is a non-binary queer person who is autistic, who has several other disabilities, who is, you know, also, you know, grew up poor you know what I mean so th there's a lot of things that I've had to undo and the work is never complete and so I say all that to say right um oh baby my Adderall is working today uh um I say all that to say these institutions these churches these cool churches that uh aren't doing this work but appear like they've done some work are very, very dangerous for those who are sincere. But I love to see um, communities like Unfit Christian, uh, Congregation on Facebook and Instagram and, and, and Holy Smokes. Uh, and, you know, and those of you who come here and participate in this show and engage uh, this sh with this show, um, I really appreciate it. And everybody is doing... This work essentially. Also, one of my intersections I I, I discuss is, is blackness, 
right? So there's that too, right? So there's 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 black, there's fat, there's queer, there is uh, disabled, there is, you know, all of those things in in one, right? And so, yeah. So with all of those intersections, we're going to move on to our clip of the week and we have I have a very very interesting discussion that's that I believe can come from this so check out this video and so some of the things that are projected on women that comes from toxic masculinity sexism and misogyny is one, just this notion that women cannot be trusted and we are inherently tempters. And so women are being, you know, shuffled away from people's husbands. We're not encouraged to have healthy relationships between men and women. Everything is sexualized when it comes to what it looks like to be co-laborers. The full video is amazing, but I want to touch on this first point about women as temptresses, because I really think it gets at the root of misogynoir and sexism in the church. Deconstructing is realizing that every ideology that we hold on to and teach comes from somewhere. And the hypersexualization of black women, this idea that black women are temptresses, an idea ever pervasive in the church, stems from, you guessed it, white supremacy. I talk about this in my research essay is the black church anti-black you can find it at the link in my bio the black body has a long history of being hypersexualized in white american culture theologian dr kelly brown douglas wrote this as part of its dehumanizing efforts white culture that culture which protects and mandates white supremacist notions and practices depicts black women and men as hypersexual lustful passionate beings and in that framework douglas writes that black women are considered promiscuous seductresses jezebels and if you've been in church long enough you've heard the term jezebel weaponized against black women but at its root white men were so inflamed their desire for black women that they quite literally blamed black women for being too seductive. Douglas continues, to label black women Jezebels allowed white men to assault them with impunity. In the illogic of white culture, their assault was the result of white men being victimized by their seductive nature. These are the roots of ideologies that are violently impacting black women in the church. And it's also impacting growing men by skewing how they view women, which in too many cases results in actual physical violence against women. And it's in this way that violence against women in the church directly reflects the theologies and ideas that we espouse. Yeah, <laughs> loaded, lots of information there. But I, I wanted to uh, engage in your listening ear, amen? Uh, two questions, two major questions, right? One is, what did you grow up believing about women? If you grew up in the church, I don't know, it's a little different for you, but because I have an experience outside of the church, um, you know, and I didn't come to church until um, my teens, um, I'll talk about that before. But also, what did the church teach you about women? I thought this would be a very interesting discussion <laughs> because... Uh, so I say what I believed about women before coming to the church. Um, my mother is a very example of strength for me, right? Very. So I grew up surrounded by a very strong woman who overcame a significant amount of trauma, right? 
and to, you know, I talk about it earlier on. So I was surrounded by really, really strong, opinionated women, um, as many of us were in the black community. The difference was, is my mother was also deeply emotional and knew that I was emotional and gave me a journal to write. Um, and all of those who were good and kind to me in my life were women. <laughs> the first people who heard me, women listened to me, saw me, all of my most beautiful experiences in this life have happened because I have been associated with and connected to women. My early introductions to uh, black men were almost always life-threatening or um, emotionally damaging, right? And um, and they always caused me to feel a particular strangeness about who I naturally was and how I showed up in the world. My connection with most men was a continuous reminder that I was not one of them, that I wasn't like them, that I was never going to be like them, that I was a very different person. There was no term at the time for what I was. And, and so people assign things to that, right? They, they assign nicknames or um, a particular type of like label to that and you become that thing and growing up it was faggot sissy you know um those types of things but people because people don't understand why you are not like other boys but you are being socialized as a boy um and of course children are cruel so i don't have any um, but, uh, they will let you know that you are not like anyone else. Um, and you're certainly like, not like them. And so often what that looks like is, I don't know, but what, so what women were to me were symbols of strength, power, my grandmother, raised me for the first five years of my life in this very gender neutral space. My identity was not based on what was in between my legs. It was based on what I desired, right? And so it was not abnormal for me to have a Steve Urkel doll, a MC Hammer doll, Ninja Turtles, as well as a baby born doll. Whatever I wanted, I... I could engage those things without being forced into any particular identity. 
I was fully capable of choosing for myself who I was, who I was going to be, and what I was going to play with in that time. Yes, I had a baby born doll. Yes, I changed his diaper. Yes, I uh, fed it and engaged that baby born doll as if it was my own child, right? And so I did not know hypermasculinity. I did not know what that world was, what it was going to be like. And then my father came home from prison. And as you all know, if you have listened to this show before, my father was a, a violent narcissist. Um, I'd say at least he was narcissistically defended. Um, at most, he suffers from narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's what it is. But he came home immediately... And once he was settled in good, it was time to turn up the heat. I was not masculine enough for him. He let me know that very clearly. Um, he His suggestions ultimately turned into violence. I remember the first time that... He engaged me violently, and I remember the shock that I felt. I don't think I've ever talked about this before. Uh, so when he first came home from prison, I um, loved him, worshipped the ground he walked on. I would sit on his lap, and he would read me books. And he was learning, I guess, trying to learn how to be patient and kind in the way that I had already been shown love. And he was not capable of that, but for so long, because he, he, he wanted me to show up in a particular way, and I was not that. And the more that I didn't, the more upset he became, the more upset he became, the more he began to beat my black body. And I use that terminology. It sounds very deep, right? But I use that terminology um, because of ta Coates and Between the World and Me. And in that book, I've read it like seven times. I love that book. But he talks about the black body, the ownership of the black body, how we learn very young that our bodies are not our own and that those who take care of us also get to abuse our bodies. And they will ultimately kind of be a foreshadow for what will come. Because when we go in the world, many of us will be beaten in the world. We will be engaged by the world and abused by those in the streets. And then and then ultimately, uh, many of us will end up being abused by the system of capitalism, the prison industrial complex, um, and or killed. Our bodies 
you know, seemed to be worthless. And so, but the first time I remember it was because I peed in the bed. I think I did that little pivot and talked around because uh, I felt myself getting emotional. But, um, and I remember taking the sheets to him or something. And I just remember him hitting me. My memory is very vague in that, but I remember the impact that it had on me emotionally because I, I began to, it was like my first realization that somebody could hit me and I would not know it was coming. Um, I wouldn't know when it was coming that at will, any given time, I could be attacked. And I didn't know when it was coming. And so that was my experience with, and, and that experience did not end there. As I talked about Ta-Nehisi uh, and, and, and the, you know, his talking about, you know, the next step was the streets. The next step was engaging my peers and, and I would ultimately face the same type of fight and, and, and struggle there. And ultimately being beaten in the streets until you can't take it anymore. And then you become, you know, you have to defend yourself in that state. Um, but yeah, so what I have found is that most times women were an element of safety, whether it be I remember guidance counselors, school nurses, uh, teachers, um, girls who were my friends when no one else were, um, or wanted to be, um, and so I I remember finding safety in that way beforehand. So women for me pre the church represented safety going into the black church because I was not churched or, and I was not raised in that space. Women, you know, black women run the black church always have always will pretty much everything in the background is done by women. Um, and especially in the Southern Baptist Church. And so I was a part of a, you know, Baptist church. And, um, of course, black women ran that. <laughs> black women were heads of the usher board. And, you know, they directed the choir and presidents of this and that. And they cooked. And, and everywhere in the nooks and cranny of that culture and that, space i found black women to be the most supportive and kind and nurturing um and so i did not yet have a negative idea of what was being taught right what was being taught and what was being absorbed right but then as time went on and i got more acquainted with the church, I started to notice the signs on the door that said, 
I started to really pay attention to the signs. You know, I had noticed before, but I started to really pay attention to the signs that said women are not permitted to wear pants in the sanctuary. And they were on the doors, all the doors. So if you had on pants when you came to, you would not be able to, like, come in. It's wild, right? And that was like a thing, right, for a while. And um, as then I started learning things, like the fact that my pastor at that time, some years way before, had an affair with one of my aunts. Didn't know that, didn't even know they were connected. Had a baby with her and then didn't claim it. So one of my cousins is the pastor's baby, right? And so, and then I started learning that he had had several affairs with several women in the church whom he emotionally abused. And the way that those women, the ones who stuck around, had to constantly deal with the shame as if it was their fault that he... um had engaged them in that way, right? Like, wild. And the more... And I remember people telling me, oh, such and such had an affair with Pastor, and this is why they don't go here anymore. And and I remember being like, what? And I remember asking this woman, and she was so ashamed, and she hung her head because she was like a mentor to me, and she ran a lot of programs for youth ministry and um and they you know ran this women out and and she said yeah it did happen and i'm so ashamed and i just remember that shame that look of shame on her face and i said it's okay i just I was telling them that wasn't true, but I won't tell anybody. And it was just like a, you know, really wild, right? So we come back to this audio message, right, um, of our boy Donnell. We've, we've done so many um, clips of the week with Donnell. You all know his voice by now, okay? You know his voice. Uh, he's definitely just one of my favorite TikTokers. Um, and... Hearing, you know, as as I spent more time, as I would ultimately get. So I ended up leaving that church. And, you know, my story ended up going to the Baptocostal church. And at that point, I felt like my pastor had had the same experience with women. He broke all the rules of the Baptist church. You know, women wore what they wanted to wear. Um, we... Uh, always had women evangelists, women pastors, women preachers come through. He did not care. Um, he loved them. He had uh, good relationships with women preachers and pastors. We fellowship with them. I've, you know, um, they fellowshiped with us, and that was my first time kind of like experiencing that. And it was, it was very cool because I always enjoyed women preachers I just always felt like they were just much better and I could understand a lot more what they were trying to say than I could a lot of the men who kind of seemed repetitive 
And I always feel like there's women. That's just a, women are better at everything. Okay, they're better at every fucking thing. Okay, and so I found that um, I just loved it. You know, I used to go visit this woman. Her name was Dr. A.C. White. She was a pastor of an apostolic church in Lakewood, New Jersey. And I just, I loved her and I loved hanging with her and her family. And I always wanted to be around them. I still went to my church, but I was, I just loved them and being able to be around them and hang out with them. I thought she was just dope. I thought she was dope. She had tattoos all over um, but she was still an old school preacher. She had had these tattoos for maybe 50 years or something at that time. So it was like a very long time she had the tattoos. And one was a tattoo of a rose on her forehead, like in the middle of her forehead. And so, you know, but she kept, you know, she wore head coverings and stuff. But you could see the rose, you know, because there's nothing she could do. And so I just thought she was so dope, man. She was so cool. Um, and I, you know, I was a Bynamite at one point. I listened to, uh, all of Juanita Bynum's tapes. I had all of the tapes and DVDs and books and CDs and all of that stuff. And, um, I loved her. And, um, there is not one single thing that has ever happened to you or will happen to you that will be wasted. Everything is there showing up to make you more of who you were meant to be. None of us were meant to be common. We were born to be comets, darting across space and time, leaving our mark as we crash into everything. A crater is a reminder that something amazing happened right here. Everything started to change for me. You know, I had always been chasing stricter things. You know, remember I told y'all, right, you know, left or right, white or black, it has to be either or. Very sort of strict, a strict idea. One of the reasons being is because I really can't, Autistic people can't see like lines. So oftentimes we need firm lines so we can know what to do, how to do it right. Boom. That's what it is. So it's one of the reasons why like liberal churches never worked for me. Um, and the particular Baptist church was very liberal. And I was like, nah, something's got to be Something's got to be wrong with this. We need to find more strict, you know, churches. And I knew a couple. And so I'd like fellowship and visit. And I was like, it felt refreshing to me that these churches had everything in common. It felt more apostolic. You know what I mean? And they continued fellowshipping. Uh, breaking bread from house to house, 
You know, this is the apostolic doctrine, the apostles doctrine. Right. And so that's what, you know, that's an Acts two, by the way, that was a scripture. Um, but it felt like that, you know, these people felt pure, but they felt pure to me because they had lines, <laughs> they had fine lines. You know, the Baptist church was like, was like, um, construction paper and, these more strict churches were uh, college-ruled fine lines, and you had to write within that space. And whereas more people would probably be turned away from that, I was turned to it because I needed lines. Otherwise, I don't. I, what's the point? <laughs> you know that that's how autistic people think, and so the more. In that, I went, the more sexist I became. I was like bathed in sexism, essentially. It began when I heard Juanita Bynum shout out on TBN uh, a short story. Uh, Juanita um, had wrote a book called Matters of the Heart. And in that book, she talked about, uh, I think it was, I want to say it was Ezekiel 13. She quoted this scripture and she talked about false prophets. And she even talked about, you know, the way they prophesy about money. And then, you know, some time, maybe a couple of years after that book came out and I read it and studied it in great detail. It's another trait of like autistic people. And I talked, we talked about this on God is my special interest, which is the podcast that I was on a while back. And, you know, we're both autistic and we're talking about how like God was our special interest. So I took these religious books, these, the Bible, all these spiritual texts, and I studied them ferociously. So I studied her book, like it was highlighted and marked and notes and everything. And this woman I knew what she said. And then she got on TBN and started telling people the color of their wallets and how God told them to give a thousand dollars. And I was like, what? And that was like my beginning of like not trusting women preachers. Because I love Juanita Bynum so much. And I was like, she, she would never, but here she did. And and so I ultimately ended up joining this church in my um, senior year in high school. Uh, and it was the Apostolic Pentecostal Church that I told you all about. No jewelry, no makeup, couldn't cut your hair, couldn't go to the movies. Uh, some of them couldn't watch TV. Um... And the list goes on and on. It, just to think about it, if it was fun, we couldn't do it. <laughs> couldn't listen to secular music, you know, all that. And so, you know, Pentecostal holiness. And so, but for me, it was beautiful. I was like, what? I got fine lines here. Um, but as I was becoming more uh, sexist, because I was following the rules, I was studying the text more. So the the thing about it is that if you are a liter, uh, biblical literalist 
and you are reading that Bible and you know that Bible and you are studying that Bible in its original context, you are absorbing also all of the text. In its literal context, excuse me, you are absorbing all of the text, all of that sexism and misogyny and, and you know, that, that Game of Thrones style world where, you know, women are virtually worthless. And the more time you spend in it, the more sexist you become. And I started viewing anybody who wasn't as deep as I was. Again, these are neurodivergent autistic traits, and, and you know, and I and I know several other people who were the same way. But if you weren't as deep as I was, then you didn't have it. And we need to question your faith, your salvation, because Y'all got these women up in here doing what they want to do, running ragged. I believe that women could prophesy if the spirit moved on them. But other than that, mounting pulpits, talking louder than men, speaking to men in disrespectful ways. No. I wanted submission. <laughs> and one of the things that I, I realized, too, my mother is a very strong person. My mother has four degrees. Um, she... Like I said, as a, a survivor, and she's always been a very strong woman and always very much feminist in nature, always working, always aiming more and more for success. And while that was beautiful, there were parts of my mother that I did not realize. This, this is why unpacking, uh, deconstructing, and therapy run hand in hand. You need all of them together because I had resentments towards my mother. My father was violent and narcissistic and he was violent to both of us and she left him. But I hated the fact that I was gay and felt like if my father had been allowed to abuse me a little more. Then I would ultimately be okay. I wouldn't have been gay or I wouldn't have been as feminine or as soft as I was. And yeah, the abuse was bad, I thought, but but if my father was around, then at least I'd be presenting in a way that I would not be a target. I'd be good. I'd be good enough. And so I, I resented my mother for leaving a dangerous situation for essentially saving our lives. But that is the the misogyny and the patriarchy within the system. Many times, and we see it in many children actually, children hate the parent or hold the most resentment for the parent who stayed because it is the only person they can really, really launch anything at. So there isn't much to go after with the person who let you see it a lot with, 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 with black men. And I was socialized as a black man. Right. And so we see it a lot where black men are resenting and hateful, violently hateful towards black women. And, and, and I'm saying this 
because I know there's some white people that listen to this show. This is this is this is not just us because everything that happens in a subculture or a small group in this society happens on a it seems like a larger scale because there are less of us. But everything that happens, we got it from y'all. Okay, so let's leave that there. But as as we see this as this Kevin Samuels movement, all of these people who are like, you know, because the black man and the black woman and, and all of that. But we see we can hear that resentment. We can hear that resentment towards black women, towards black mothers, towards black sisters and aunts. And and we can hear it. They resent those women for being proud. They resent those women for, for being independent. They resent those same women for saving them. For trying their hardest to save them from the patriarchy that is men. Uh, but they also haven't unpacked their own internalized misogyny, these women. And they haven't, you know, they're not doing their work. Many people are in poverty, of course, and, and don't have access to, to this information or didn't, right? So they're not doing their work. They've got their own amount of internalized misogyny. They've got their shit going on. But yeah, these men, you can see, they, they resent um, these women. And it's very obvious in the way that many, many people engage black women. You know, and, and, and so... You know, a full circle. What we have is this this thing, right? Um, where it's already inherent, right? It's already inherent in us because uh, maybe inherent is the wrong word, but it's already very, very present, right, in us, um, and it's often. It's, it's, it's deeply rooted in the society. And the church is just a microcosm of, of what is happening in the overarching society. Um, and so the thing is, is like little boys are socialized to hate everything that is feminine, to completely disassociate at the earliest age they can from anything that is feminine. Anything nurturing, anything kind, any all of any anything that has to do with any feminine trait, which is like all the good traits, right, are are feminine. <laughs> Sensitivity, communication, uh, uh, you know, uh, consciousness, awareness, you know, all these things, uh, kindness, are associated with women and not traits that are associated with being a man. And so, when these young men grow up. And y'all, and, and I have women who have children, I have friends that have children and, you know, who have families and husbands and they complain about their husband not knowing anything, not knowing how to change diapers, not knowing, being completely just detached from anything that is nurturing. And it's, it's in, in, in. Even in the even in helping their partner, you know, being a partner, helping their spouse, these men are lost. Many of them, they don't have a clue 
But their whole lives, they have been socialized to be to separate themselves from everything that is feminine. And what happens is these women are marrying these men, hoping that they can finish the job of raising them and actually uh, build a good man. But as uh, the evangelist K. Michelle said, you can't raise a man. He's already grown. What you going to do? Okay, get into it. He's already grown. You can't you can't raise a man. You can't do it. His mama couldn't do it. He wasn't raised right before you. Okay, let's get into it. Um, you know, and so and, and these, these men have to parent themselves. They've got to they got to raise that's a word right there. Come on somebody. That they've got to raise themselves. They've got to parent themselves. They've got to get in therapy. They've got to ask the questions. They've got to do the readings. They've got to talk out loud. They've got to pray. They've got to meditate. They've got to come in tune with themselves and come in tune with their in inner uh, feminine self so that they can be they can be amazing partners and emotionally intimate fathers and they've got to get the help that they need so that they can be that and yes yeah, sucks raising yourself you know you know reparenting yourself sucks <laughs> sucks ass nobody wants to do that shit it's hard work you know it's it's it, and, and nobody else is doing it you know, there was this article that came out a couple of weeks ago about how men, many men are not getting married and will never see marriage because of, you know, these women ain't putting up with their shit. And, um, you know, and, and, and basically what we've heard in response to that article is a lot of women saying, yeah, I'd rather be alone. I could be, I can be miserable by myself. I don't want to have to pick up after nobody's draws and, and, and raise no whole man and then end up having a baby with him and then he's still a big-ass baby. Don't nobody want to deal with that. And the reality of of, of all of that is is that we, we've, we've got to do the work. We've got to ask the questions. We've got to read the material. We've got to get the audio books. We've got to uh, 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 do the YouTubes. We got to ask questions. It's, a, it's imperative that um, we do that. And I think so, so. So what the church ultimately began to teach me is that women are worthless. Women are shameful, as, as uh, Donnell talked about. Women are shameful. Jezebels. I remember there was a segment in the early, there was a time period in the early 2000s where preachers were preaching all these uh, sermons about the Jezebel spirit in the church. Oh, that was a big thing that was happening and it was just like whew, black folks don't realize how much they just carry the white supremacist torch across these pulpits in these institutions filled with black people that they do white supremacy's job for them black folks was in these churches preaching sermon series on the jezebel spirit y'all know what the jezebel spirit was 
a woman who did what she wanted to do without the, the influence of a man. A woman who did what she thought was best. And they called it manipulating. Because men are supposed to be these grand leaders. You know, but and, and these ideas about male leadership and all of that does not give um way for the conditions of 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 of, of slavery in this country. The conditions of enslaved people in this country, um, the tearing apart of the families, the fact that black women have always worked, you know, and, and it's something you can check out in uh, Angela Davis's, uh, I want to say, Women, Race, and Class. Um, but, yeah, like, that shit is like, black women have always worked alongside their, their men. And whatever families they built were ripped apart intentionally. Um, and so, and so, these ideas and these doctrines of submission in this white supremacist world is—it does not work for our existence. And 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 I've, I've said this time and time again. And I love that Donnell, you know, talks about and has written uh, this thesis or, or or this piece on whether or not the black church is is um, anti-black. It is. It is a black church, a black institution that has not deconstructed and decolonized all of itself is a white supremacist institution and a tool of white supremacy. A tool of capitalism, a tool of misogyny and misogynoir, a tool of homophobia. It is an institution that is set up, designed, and created by the white supremacist capitalist male patriarchy to do its job of indoctrinating people who look like me and so that's why so many people can kind of regurgitate these visions and ideas of of women it fits right in one of the things right now i'm watching the new game of thrones series house of dragon and in 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 that series there's a lot of talk about mayor, about heirs and male heirs and and basically that how women are worthless. And we didn't see so much of this in a Game of Thrones series as much as we are really looking at these things now in this series. And we're just on episode two, but it's wild. So, I, yeah, the church... told me that women are useless until they are not. And they are not useless when they are cooking, when they are doing sideline ministries, when they are submitting. When I was in the cult, women couldn't even, 
approach me to correct me. Women couldn't even speak to me in certain ways. Their heads couldn't be uncovered around me. You know, and, and so, you know, they would have to get brothers together to come to me. My choir director had to get some brothers to come to me to talk to me about something. And we were friends. But it was against the custom of the church. I remember I had, um, I had a fiance um, back when I was like 19. And, um, you know, we, we were trying to do it the holy way. And we ended up fucking. And so uh, I got her pregnant. And I remember, you know, I was a young minister, a young evangelist, leader in the church, youth leader, you know, doing all this different stuff. And, 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 you know, here I am with a knocked up fiance and I sat in my pastor's office and called her Delilah. <laughs> like as if I was some mighty man of God who was taken down by this powerful pussy. Okay. And the reality of it was that it was my first time ever being with a woman and um it's just funny to me uh my pastor's wife at the time was like no 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 you don't no no you ain't about to put that on her but yeah I was you know I just I don't know but that's what I had learned that's what I absorbed from taking in that text in the way that I did violently. And so one of the things that I'm reimagining, right? And, and I'm doing this with uh, Holy Smokes and Donnell and Unfit Christian is the power and the stories of the women in the Judeo-Christian text. Because they're virtually meaningless in so many ways. You read that text. And, that's, you know, you hear people use, you know, do the, you know, to talk about Job's wife, Lot's wife. You know, all not considered good people. Rahab's considered a prostitute. Naomi, Tamar. You know, all these different people in the text. And we never think of it from... We never reimagine a text from a woman's point of view. From what those women were experiencing. What was it like for Job's wife to be to lose all of the children she had given birth to? The story is barely about her until she comes to tell Job, why don't he just curse God and die? And I've heard that Simon preached so many times as a way of like forcing women into this position of just going along with the flow of some nigga. And being submissive to him and how she was a, a diversion from his mission. And ultimately, he she died and then was given or was killed by the Lord. I can't remember, but then was given. He was given more wives and more children. That story alone is just these people are being uh, the story is being told and sold as this. God will give you double for your trouble. You know, that you can just replace people you love. Because the, 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 the teller of these stories 
They don't give a fuck about women. They have been socialized in a world where these women are nothing but mattresses to be bounced upon. And canals through which their children come through. Anything other than that, eh, you're lucky. You know, so I think today about the verse that says there is neither male or female, there's no no Greek nor Gentile, you know, for we are all one. I think about that today. I think about that. And I want to reflect, I want us to reflect on that and think about what has the institution taught us and what what is it that we need to unlearn what is it that we need to unlearn that the world has taught us how many resentments do we need to release and how do we get and remain free thank you so much for listening once again this is surviving fundamentalism The podcast where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, then you most likely, no, you probably, no, no, you will have a problem with this shit. I'll see you next time. So long, farewell to you, my friend. Thank you so much for listening to Surviving Fundamentalism with Richie X. This is the podcast where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, then you most likely gonna have a problem with this shit. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, things you want me to talk about, definitely hit me up on Instagram at Instagram.com slash Surviving Fundamentalism or Instagram.com slash Richie at it again. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to tell a friend, tell your mama, tell your aunties, uh, tell some people that's just questioning, you know, get the people involved, run it up, run the numbers up, okay? And I will be back next week.